Our journey through Lent takes us to the most difficult question that we face as followers of Jesus. Why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen to people who don't deserve it? Why do you and I go through hardships that we did not bring onto ourselves? I mean, we know what suffering is. We know who goes through it. We can identify when it is happening. But when we begin with the word why, that's when the question gets really hard. So I'm glad Luke records the story he does in the 13th chapter, a story that none of the other gospel writers want to touch, because Luke shows a willingness to confront the suffering question head on and not avoid it. In these first four verses, Luke pulls two tragedies straight out of the local headlines. The first involves Governor Pilate conducting what appeared to be some sort of raid on innocent worshipers, slaughtering them in the midst of their rituals, an act of violence clearly born out of evil and injustice. And then there's the second story, 18 innocent people going about their daily lives when a, when a large tower fell on them, killed them all. It's a heartbreaking, random moment of tragedy. Now, it would not take much for you and I to connect the dots here between these two first-century tragedies and any of a number of horrible headlines that we've experienced in our lifetimes, even over the past year. Nor would it be hard to understand the kinds of questions that Jesus was asking the people to wrestle over in this passage. Why did these tragedies happen? Why do people suffer? And this morning... For any of us who have gone through or are going through real hardship in our lives, Luke is giving us permission to ask the hard questions that begin with the word, why? And we can see in the background the conclusion that many people in this story were coming to as to why. They would have remembered their Israelite history, how God promised the people, over and over and over again, that if they just obeyed God, they would thrive, but if they disobeyed God, then they would suffer. So there would have been a common perception that hardship of any kind had to be the person's fault. They must have done something wrong to, to upset God, to bring this tragedy upon themselves. I mean, we've, we've seen that line of thinking all throughout the, the Torah, the Proverbs, and many of the prophets of the Old Testament. But then there's the story of Job, the big monkey wrench of a story that gets thrown into the Old Testament that, that upends all of what the people thought they knew about why people suffer. Job was as God-fearing and as obedient as they came. I mean, his, his saintliness was almost legendary, but he suffered more than any other human in the whole Bible. So when it came to these innocent worshipers who were slaughtered by Pilate and these, these innocent bystanders who were crushed by the falling tower, Jesus poses the very question that the people themselves were wondering. Did they deserve it? Was, was the suffering their fault or was it purely random? And of course, neither option is satisfactory, isn't it? I mean, it's true that sometimes we suffer because of choices that we've made and sins that we've committed. There are times when we have gotten ourselves into messes of our own creation, but we don't dare make that a blanket reason for suffering. 
Jesus basically asked the people, so what do you think? Were the, were the worshipers greater sinners than the bystanders or, or the other way around? It is just not a comforting notion to think that all suffering is brought upon ourselves. But neither is it comforting to accept suffering as simply random, right? Or, or indiscriminate or, or subject to chance. We want to believe that there can be some good that comes out of suffering, some redemptive purpose. Essayist Heidi Julevitz, author of the novel The Vanishing, had been diagnosed at one point in her life with an incurable condition of chronic pain. She said in an interview, quote, I needed to understand that this random bad bit of luck as part of a bigger design. Otherwise, I was suffering meaninglessly, she said, and this made the suffering a whole lot worse. But then there's a danger in that too, isn't there? I mean, the moment we ascribe our suffering to some greater purpose, that's the moment we teeter on the edge of thinking that God has something to do with it, even if it is to make something good out of it. And the idea that God causes or allows our suffering, that can be a pretty hard pill to swallow. So which is it? Is suffering a result of our sin, a result of randomness and chance, or a result of God? Do you see why Matthew, Mark, and John don't bother touching this story? In just four verses, Luke packs a wallop of a theological dilemma, one that is common to all of us, especially those of us who are suffering right now. Fortunately for us, Luke doesn't stop at verse 4. Starting in verse 5, Jesus leads us through this hard question by doing what he does best, showing us a different way to ask the question altogether. For Jesus, the most important questions about suffering do not begin with the word why. They begin with the words, so what? What's next? He basically tells the people that since everyone suffers, it is important to spend less energy identifying the cause and more energy identifying the response to our suffering. Jesus was much more interested in what people would choose to learn from their suffering, whether they would use it as an opportunity to grow from it, whether to turn away from sin and turn toward God, to use suffering as a way of showing us things about ourselves that need to change or need to be strengthened. He compares our response to suffering to that of a fig tree, which chooses to yield figs or not. God does not cause our suffering in order to bring something good out of it, but God is with us to help bring something good out of our suffering. None of us are strangers to suffering, even me. I'll share with you something that has been helpful for me to think about in my more difficult moments. I know that one of the symptoms that I feel when I know that I'm going through a really hard stretch in my life is that I wake up way too early in the morning with thoughts flooding into my head as if a, a starting pistol has set loose a barrage of thoughts and emotions about whatever it is that I'm facing. There was a time years ago that I could almost set a clock to when this would start. Five o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock before the sunlight entered the room. Just me lying awake, tossing and turning in bed in what I learned to call my fragile time every day. Eventually, as the sun would rise and I'd begin my day and gain the strength to face whatever would come, it would fade. But then the next morning, 
And for weeks in a row, that fragile time would return like clockwork to the point where in my more unhealthy moments, I would dread going to sleep at night in fear of what I would be facing the next morning. So let me share with you something that has helped me that I I think is drawn from the lessons of Luke chapter 13. The first thing I do when I open my eyes and these negative thoughts swarm in is to calmly acknowledge them, not run from them, not repress them, but name them. There are times when I even speak to them as if I were speaking to an actual person. And most of the time, I will simply call them by name. Hello, suffering, I would say. Here you are again. I've found that addressing them in this way is a powerful tool because it puts me in control. It objectifies the feelings so that I can acknowledge them in a non-anxious way. The next thing I say is this. Suffering, you are not my enemy. This is helpful for me to say because it reminds me that suffering is not a monster. It is not a menacing force that I need to fear or run from. It is not something I need to dread or feel powerless against. I do not need to give suffering that kind of power over my life that naming it as my enemy would give it. Suffering is not my enemy. And then the next statement, suffering, you are not my friend. Saying this always makes me smile. Suffering, I did not welcome you into my life. I did not ask you to be my companion. You just kind of barged in like a party crasher and you're here. I'm not going to kick you to the curb, but I don't have to be your friend either. I don't have to accept you as a permanent part of my life. And I don't need to appease you or placate you or give in to you. And I refuse to believe that you are here for my own good. Suffering is not my enemy. Suffering is not my friend. And then I say, Suffering, you are my teacher for this moment in time. For this temporary period of my life, you are my teacher. And I can choose the lessons that I wish to learn from you. Now, most of the teachers in our lives are temporary. Some teachers I've liked very much, some not as much, but all of them have taught me lessons, some that I've chosen to carry on and make an enduring part of my life and other lessons that I've chosen to give less importance to. Suffering can be a teacher like that in that it reminds us that we have the agency. We have the power to grow and learn, even if it means increasing our threshold for pain so that we can have greater capacity to hold the hard lessons that suffering teaches us. Think about your life and the hard times you've had and how much more you are able to endure now than when you were a lot younger. Think about how you've grown and how much you've let go of because God has helped you learn the hard lessons that only suffering can teach us. You might say you're like a fig tree and you are now able to bear much more fruit than you ever thought possible. Let us pray. God, help us to let go of the uncertainty of our suffering and to cultivate strength that comes from learning its hard lessons. We know you are with us. We know that you are not suffering's cause. You are its redemption. And because of you, we can face it without fear. And as you increase our capacity for our own suffering, help us to accompany others in theirs. 
For your mercy and grace, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.